0: The New Testament is packed with references to the Old, especially the Gospel of Matthew. And there are many references in the Old Testament that seem to prophesy events in the New. On this Christmas Eve, I'd like to look at a powerful parallel between the Old and the New Testament. One that foretells of the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. From the Mosaic Covenant between God and the Israelites, and the One, the New Covenant, between each of us personally and Jesus Christ. The book of Jeremiah covers a watershed period of Israelite history. This is the period leading up to and including the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon in 587 B.C and the exile of many of Israelites' elite eastward into the heart of the Babylonian Empire. The book of Jeremiah is haphazardly engineered, and it's clearly pulled together from multiple sources. It doesn't even present a consistent chronological ordering of events, and its development seems to have continued for long after the death of Jeremiah himself. Jeremiah came from a priestly family living near Jerusalem. He was well-educated, and the book makes a very sophisticated use of Hebrew. God informs Jeremiah in a vision that he had been chosen to be a future prophet way back when he was still within his mother's Womb. He's called by God to serve as a prophet when he's still a very young man, but at first he resists. He later expresses contempt for people who don't understand the gravity of the position of a prophet. Jeremiah spends 40 years trying to warn the sinful people of Judah the southern part of Israel, which contained Jerusalem, that if they do not heed God's word and end their morally corrupt ways, God will bring destruction to them. His family turns on him. He never marries. He's whipped. He's put in stocks and attacked by a mob. He's thrown in jail. God's punishment to God's people does indeed come in the form of the Babylonian invasion. Jeremiah himself is not exiled, but he does write to the exiles, warning them that God isn't going to let them return home for a very long time. The first quote I'd like to look at comes from chapter 31 of Jeremiah. It's referenced multiple times in the New Testament, including the Gospel of Luke, first and second Corinthians and in the second passage we'll look at today which is from Hebrews. It comes after a part of the book of Jeremiah where the prophet based on a dream of his predicts that one day Jerusalem will be restored. Importantly the passage that we're looking at is not a prediction of a future people of faith of a land far beyond Israel Of a time far away in the future. Jeremiah is talking about immediate, earthly restoration, not the spiritual restoration that's embodied in the New Testament. When he talks about a quote, new covenant, he's referring to the rebuilding of Jerusalem after the destruction by the Babylonians. Jeremiah tells a separated, crushed, dispirited people who think that God has utterly rejected them that they will come alive again. Jeremiah offers worldly hope to his people when he says, The Lord is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. The covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. But this passage took on new meaning when Jesus came into the world. We don't know who wrote the letter that's now called the book of Hebrews, In fact, it wasn't even labeled as a letter to quote Hebrews until the 2nd century, long after the letter was written. The title simply expresses the obvious fact that it is clearly directed at Jews who are followers of Jesus. At this point in the letter, the author is arguing that Jesus has given us a new covenant, one that's superior to the older covenant the one delivered to Moses by God on a mountain, and then passed on by Moses to God's people just before they enter the promised land. It's not that the Old Covenant is bad or wrong. It's simply dated. It's no longer relevant. The New Covenant isn't a set of worldly promises between God and God's people, like the Old Covenant, one that says that God will give them land to live on and many generations of children to fill that land and God's blessing on the people of God and says that they will get all that but only if they live by God's laws. Rather, our covenant is internal and it's eternal. Jesus has come to earth and Jesus has left the earth And now Jesus, standing in heaven next to God, is our connection with a heavenly spiritual covenant. One that guarantees us not earthly rewards, but rewards that last forever. Primarily among these is God's promise to always forgive, to never remember our sins, and to never abandon us. While Jeremiah was referring to a new version of the Old Covenant, when he spoke of a new covenant, a new promise by God to forgive the past evils of God's people and reward them on earth, the author of Hebrews, like the authors of the Gospels and like Paul, the author of so much of the New Testament, looks back at this prophecy of Jeremiah and sees something new. Here's what we read in Hebrews. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. In the Gospel of Mark, after John the Baptist is arrested, Jesus declares this, The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. This is the reason we celebrate Christmas, why this is such a magnificent season for us. Each of us has a personal relationship with God. We have indeed arrived In the kingdom of God. That kingdom is here, it's now, and it's also for all of eternity. That's why we're so excited about the arrival of Jesus, because that birth means for us a spiritual, heavenly, and eternal walk in the kingdom of God. We have so much more than the people of the old covenant had. We're not looking for the rebuilding of some earthly empire. We're being given an eternal empire in which we can live, starting right now. I went to Catholic schools. In the sixth grade, I was given the honor of playing the boy Jesus in the school play. But hold on. I admit it wasn't because I was the best actor or because I was so holy. I got the job simply because I was the only kid who could memorize all those lines. I was told I had to wear a robe, which seemed to me to look like a dress, so I insisted on wearing shorts under it, by the way. All that we know of Jesus comes from the Bible, and we don't know much about the boyhood of Jesus, other than that he wandered off at one point, and his stunned earthly parents found their little boy preaching to adults in the temple. I don't remember what sorts of stories my sixth grade play added to the story of the boy Jesus. But I do remember being on that stage and having the honor of representing that as yet unfulfilled potential of changing the world, not physically, but spiritually, by giving us all the gift of living now and for all of eternity with God of truly living out that incredible blessing of being made in the image of God. We celebrate Jesus today because he gives us a new Jerusalem, and it isn't some limited, temporary human kingdom. Amen. Count your blessings.